Aurora and Don Bluth Productions present a classic adventure in motion picture entertainment. I must tell you about Nim. Look there. It's a fantasy with wizards and villains. And heroes. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm not even afraid of the great owl. Will you hush up? Come on. It's an odyssey to another world. A world of fantasy and enchantment. To what you see and hear, you must swear absolute secrecy. It's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Do you like me? Of course I like you. It's I mean, a story of friendship. I mean, you don't think I'm clumsy or anything. What? I just need a few pointers to polish my style. I told you you'd love flying. I don't know how I let you talk me into this. It's a classic story of courage. Why have you come? And a world of danger. If I had actually been near a cat, I'd be sneezing my brains out. I'm allergic to hay. Excuse me, pardon me. Where courage is rewarded. Oh, thank you. A motion picture for everyone to share. Oh, the poor turkey fell down. I'm, I'm not a turkey. Big no, buzzer, Discover the secret of Nim, and rediscover the child in us all. In the pantheon of kids' movies that are not kid movies, yes, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the history of, ooh, a sparkly, ooh. This is the story of the secret of Nim. This is Toys R Us. Uh, what's your name, little buddy? Banjo. <gasps> ooh, a sparkly. Dragon's Lair, a fantasy adventure where you become a valiant knight on a quest to rescue the fair princess from the clutches of an evil dragon. my family in the big earth shake. Um, you want to go with me? Yeah! Oh, okay. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I do, I do. Where am I? This is the great hall of judgment. Judgment? Oh, not to worry, Charlie. You'll go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven because unlike people, dogs are naturally good and loyal and kind. Huh, yeah, that's true. Cock-a-doo, what a day. Sun is shining brightly, cock a doo sunny day, down here on the farm. Tumbleina, she's a funny little squirt. Tumbleina, tiny angel in a skirt. Tumbleina, first she's mending, then baking, pretending she's making things hum. Tumbleina, a troll in Central Park. 
The Pebble and the Penguin. Dancing bears, painted wings, things I almost remember. And a song someone sings once upon a December. Titan A.E. Get ready for the human race. Hello. Hi. Thanks for coming on back. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me, as always, is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hey, everybody. Together, we are the Toys R Us podcast. We are, indeed. Your weekly, and sometimes daily, history lesson on a piece of your childhood that made it, helped to make it more memorable. Brian. Yes. Today, we continue our journey into the magic that is Don Bluth. Let's do it. That being said, are you ready? You bet. We are shot We start our story in 1970, where we meet up with the author Robert C. O'Brien, which just in my mind is just Conan O'Brien. <laughs> All right, Robert C. O'Brien. He had just published a book called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Oh, I remember that book. The book tells the story of Mrs. Frisbee, a widowed field mouse who must save her family from inter- human interference. When her son, Timothy, becomes very sick around the same time the farmer, whose land they live on, decides it's time to plow the field, they must find a way to move their home. Though the move would likely kill Timothy. Ooh. Mrs. Frisbee is stuck on what to do for her son until she is directed by an owl to speak to the rats that live in a nearby rosebush. Speaking to the rat's leader, Nicodemus, she finds out that the rats have all gained human-level intelligence from being tested on by the National Institute of Mental Health, and have thus learned to read, write, and master certain forms of technology, which is terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, you thought it was bad mice riding motorcycles. (laughs) I mean, wait till they start doing particle physics. Well, I mean, isn't there a whole fucking graphic novel about, like, Nazi rats? Yes. What's it called? No, uh, it, it's cats. Uh, it's called oh, yeah. Mouse, it is M-A-U-S. Cats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember the Nazis. I remember taking it out from the library when I was like 11, and I'm like... I don't, yeah, right? Oh, You're like, oh, this is this way is, darker than I thought it was yes, going to be. this is not. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is an allegory for the fucking Holocaust. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. And that's not to say that that's too young to learn about. No, no, no. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where, like, you don't know at 11 years old that graphic novels are not always for children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh. I mean, can you imagine, like, being, like, 10, 11, picking up fucking Watchmen oh, by Ellen Moore, Dave Gibbons? <laughs> Jesus, man. The fucking killing joke. Oh, You're yeah. Like, You're like, oh, okay, there's... Batgirl and she's <laughs> naked in a fun house and oh fuck uh, yeah Ugh. so when you start to realize wow the world is not all roses nope <laughs> um, the rats agreed to help Mrs. Frisbee due to the fact that her husband Jonathan was one of their own that had helped them escape the was one of their own that had helped them escape from the lab Ironically, the rats also need Mrs. Frisbee's help in moving them as they want to stop their dependence on humans. They steal electricity from the farm. Well, okay. 
A small group of the rats didn't agree with his plan and set on set off on their own, getting killed in the process, uh-huh. which leads to exterminators being called to kill the rats. Uh-oh. Mrs. Frisbee must help the rats by drugging the farmer's cat, Dradon, so they can move out in the open without fear. Mrs. Frisbee is caught by the farmer's son and locked in a cage. Oh, no. Only with one of the rats' help, Justin, is Mrs. Frisbee able to escape and tell the rats of the human's plan to kill them. In the end, everybody makes it out and little Timothy gets better. Aww. The book ended up winning the Newbery Award in 1972 and was offered to Disney for film rights. Disney, Disney Newbery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Disney apparently was not interested in the story about lab rights and mice, but Bluth, a few years later, was. Boom. Bluth asked Aurora Productions to buy the rights to the film, though the deal brought with it a budget of $5.7 million and 30 months to complete the film. Hey, that's a that's pretty dope. Yeah. Good. That's a good chunk. It's good. That's good. It's good. Let's set out to make a film like the ones from Disney's Golden Age, with better character development and classic animation techniques. He felt that Disney was using cheaper and cheaper modes of animation just to save save a few bucks. Yeah, it's true. They did recycle yeah. on. Oh yes, I love. So there's so many much. fucking YouTube videos that you can go yeah. watch right now where you just see like all oh, the recycled wow. animation. It's and to to uh, like a point. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah. But at the same time, using it seven or eight times, <laughs> now you're just being lazy. Yeah. Seeing a scene and thinking like, oh, mm. I can use this right here in the same spot. Yeah. Smart. Writing a scene specifically around that so animation that so you corner. can use it. <laughs> no, yeah, that's fucking cheap. Which is like it, it, making you understand why Don Bluth is Don Bluth and why yeah. he, you know, he, he really fucking tried. Yeah. You know? You don't see him reusing his animation. No. Hell no, because it's so fucking unique. Ah, no, it's so good. It's unique, but it's not like Tim Burton unique, where you, like, you're like, oh, fuck. I get it, dude. <laughs> it's like, it's oh, a black okay. and white spiral. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Let me clap for you. You know, like, yeah. I just, oh, yeah, nice. Okay, cool. Um, Bluth attempted to use a few techniques, or a few new techniques in his film, namely rotoscoping. Oh, yeah. I think rotoscoping is really amazing. It's fucking amazing. It is. It's fucking neat. It's like it's like when you were a kid and you would trace over something, yeah. right? <laughs> on, on such more technical level. Yeah, like to a way yeah, higher like, level. I'm copying it and I'm going to make it move. Yeah. Make it move flawlessly. Like, yeah. This weird fluid... It's like an uncanny valley animated, yeah. right? Yeah. You're like, yeah. Oh, I didn't know I could do that like, shit. Wow. Um, this makes my brain tickle. And they also used backlit animation. See, now that's baller too. Yeah. He was really big into backlit animation. Yeah. Like, and you can tell like too. Every fucking Don Bluth movie has to have some sort of bird with like fucking like some gl- type of animal with glowing eyes. Yes. Which, in The Secret of Nam, it was Nicodemus's eyes. Which glowed due to light being shown through the color gels. And I'm sure that we're going to get to this, but another one that was really big on that was my personal favorite, uh, Titan AE. Yeah. There was a lot of, like, glowy elements in that whole that movie. That and fucking Rockadoodle. Yeah. Yeah. Which gets shit on a lot. But you know what? Totally doesn't deserve it. Does not. No. It's a, All of Don Bluth movies are... 
not kid movies. No, they, uh, it's true. They're not. No, they're, they're not. They're very adult oriented, which it's is like good because in a kids package, though. Don, Don Bluth, he understood that you have to be that guide, yeah. into knowing that the world is fucked up. Yeah, I mean, whereas Disney try Disney now, and I want to say Disney now. With the inclusion and help from Pixar, yeah, has begun to become more human again. Yes, I agree. Like they show Especially you, like up. Yes, like the God, the like the first the like ten minutes of up, you're <sighs> like, Jesus Christ! You just hear that, like, like literally. Whoa. My girlfriend and I at the time, uh, we were watching it, and I had to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. I had to stop the fucking movie. You have to. <sighs> it's so fucking heavy. It is. And it's like, ugh. And it's just like the little details that Disney and Pixar, that team have brought out. Like, mm-hmm. when he goes to her funeral, yeah. he's wearing a bow tie. Yeah. Because he didn't know how to tie a tie. She yep. tied his tie. Yep. You're like, <laughs> And it's like, oh, when you, you know, and then they do all this stuff without saying a word, like, oh, like yeah. the whole thing with the tie and like, yeah. that she couldn't bear kids. And yeah. it's like, oh, fuck. It's like, are you just going to keep piling on <laughs> sorrow here? Yeah. It's like, Jesus. Jeez. Like, I already got depression. Do I need mega depression? Yeah. That's Pixar. Mega depression. Yeah. Like, inside out. <laughs> Take her to the moon for me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking bing bong. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, Don style of animation, however, was extremely labor-intensive and called for very long hours for the animators, and ultimately no pay to show for it in the short run. The animators were given portions of the profits instead, something, of her- something unheard of in the animation world. Both and his producers even had to mortgage their homes so that they could pay for the film. Oh, damn. So the stakes were a bit high. Yeah. The movie differs from the books in a few ways. Probably the biggest difference is in the name of the main character, which brings us back to Whammo. Oh, really? Uh... Yes. Aurora reached out to Whammo to see if it was all right if they used the name Miss Frisbee, since it was so close to the name Frisbee. Right. Whammo denied the request to use Miss Frisbee. Dicks. And now Bluth was stuck. <laughs> Big time dicks, considering that all you do is fucking steal ideas. <laughs> Seriously. All the lines had already been done, and some of the actors couldn't even be back to reread, oh, namely no. John Carradine. Booth decided to go with a name that was so close that they could convincingly make it to where Carradine's character, the Great Owl, sounded like he was saying the new name. Many of the characters that had very small parts or weren't actually shown in the book had much larger parts in the movie. Jenner, the leader of the rats that didn't want to stop mooching after the humans, becomes the villain in the movie. In the book, he is mentioned briefly and never shown. Jeremy the Crow goes from a bit part at the beginning of the book to a full comedy relief for portions of the movie. The book lacked any magic, but Bluth decided to change that by making Nicodemus, the leader of the rats, basically a wizard, complete with a magic amulet. As wizards love to have. You know. You know. (laughs) Wizards love to accessorize. It's true. And they do it so well. They really do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's like Project One Way, but it's just wizards. <laughs> wizards. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking good. That is. 
Mrs. Brisby is still a widowed mother, but Justin turns into sort of a love interest. The film was ultimately distributed by MGM in 1982, who apparently didn't have much faith in the film since they did no advertising for it. Jerks. Right? So Aurora had to take the brunt of the responsibility for that. Though Bluth and Aurora planned on a wide release of a thousand theaters, MGM instead went with 100 on the film's opening weekend. Oh. It slowly improved to 700, but the damage was done. Yeah. Being released against E.T. Oh, fuck. The film only made a little over $14 million, barely twice as much as its budget, and therefore end up, ended up putting the studio in the black. That, coupled with the writer's strike, forced Don Bluth to file for bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, the film would go on to become a hit uh, on video and cable showings and subsequently became a cult classic. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't had a... In, in elementary school, there wasn't a day where we didn't watch Secret of Nim. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. In terms of casting with a much bigger budget, Goldman described the casting process as exciting, fun, and sometimes strange. He said that focusing on the characteristics of each character, the voices and acting abilities were crucial, saying that using voices that added to the movie's movie's texture was part of the team's philosophy in the development of the film. Goldman found the strangest casting decision to be Dom DeLuise for Jeremy the Crow, (laughs) which Goldman, Bluth, and Pomeroy had considered after watching the film in 1978. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't love Dom DeLuise, though? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Don DeLuise became like a mainstay of Bluth. Yeah, films. Yeah, Don DeLuise and his son are both in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes, yes, yeah. Which is fucking. I I love that movie so much. I remember seeing it in theaters. Ugh. Like I got I got excited one day because like uh, the Amazon deal of the day was like a twelve film Mel Brooks Blu Ray collection. Oh hell yeah! And fucking Robin Hood Men in Tights is one of them. Hell yeah! Yes, I've been looking for it on Blu Ray forever. Dave Chappelle's acting debut. Yeah, yeah, his first. uh, And that was when he was David Chappelle. Yeah, David Chappelle, just like Jim Curry on uh, In Loving Color was James Carey. Yeah. Or it's like, like the reverse Lawrence Fishburne because yeah. when, when he first came out, Larry. he's Larry. <laughs> Cowboy Curtis. Cowboy Curtis. Yeah. Cowboy fucking Curtis. Which is one of those things that you don't realize until you realize it and you're like, and you're oh, like oh, my oh God. fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Just, a bomb going off in your brain. <laughs> you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, Elizabeth Hartman was cast as Mrs. Brisby. With Goldman calling her performance in A Patch of Blue so so believable and sincere that we all felt she was right for the part. Pomeroy suggested Derek Jacoby, who starred in the 1976 miniseries Claudius, to play play the part of Nicodemus. Peter Strauss, who the team previously saw in another miniseries in 1976, Rich Man, Poor Man, was cast as Justin. Nice. And Paul Sheener was assigned to play Jenner. The staff liked his dark, powerful voice. Shakespearean actor John Carradine was perfect for the dark, dark, ominous great owl, while Aldo Ray was assigned to voice Sullivan, whom Goldman said had a great, distinctive voice. Don Blue Studios really were like, yeah. give me every motherfucker that has like yeah. that voice, yeah. you know? The it's Secret like- of Nim 
The production on The Secret of Nim lasted from January 1980 to early June 1982. That's a long stretch for a film. Yeah. I mean, I guess not so much animation-wise, but... No, yeah. But, I mean, it's like... I mean, fuck, look at how long it did they took them to do Toy Story. I mean, they were, they were breaking new ground, though. On that. Yeah, they had a lot of fucking hurdles to go over. And that's not to say that Dom Luth Studios didn't. No, hell I mean, no, because they... They built themselves from within. They're like Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Booth Studios was the Hydra to Disney. It truly was. Right? Yeah. It's like, hail Tom Booth. They would just like Bluth. pass each other in the hallway. <laughs> hail Bluth. Hail Fievel. <laughs> oh, shit. Hail Fievel. Hail Fievel. That's fucking good. <laughs> God damn. The studio set out with the explicit goal in mind of returning feature animation to its golden era, concentrating on strong characters and story and experimenting with unusual and more labor-intensive animation techniques. Booth believed older techniques were being abandoned in favor of lower production cost, and the only way that animation could survive was to continue traditional production methods. Yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... That's That's why there's still a place for tattoo artists that do old traditional yeah, tattoos. Absolutely. You know, like you could you could have both, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I mean, I don't have any tattoos, but I mean I know you do. Yes. But I mean you gotta be able to appreciate the classics. Yeah. You have you to know? have a you have to have a respect for both. Absolutely. You know? They're they're different. They're not you can't compete you can't like compare them against each other. Yeah, you can't just be like CGI or nothing. Traditional's right. garbage. Yeah. No, fuck no. you. That's why like people as much people as much as people shit talk the new Star Wars trilogy, JJ Abrams and crew and Ryan Johnson, there, there's a lot of practical shit. There is, and more so than even than the prequels. Yeah. Well the prequels are pretty much only CGI. Yeah, that's true. Why and that's what they did not want. They yeah. wanted to go back to practical, which was the the whole original Star Wars trilogy yeah. was fucking practical. Yes, exactly, and that's that's why like like the aliens yeah. in the sequel trilogy, they're all practical. Yeah, you know, foam latex and yeah. shit like that, yeah. which is fucking awesome. Back to how it should have been. Yep. Not fucking aliens. Isley is now horrible to look at. <laughs> it truly. Oh God. No. Uh, yeah. I'm like, what? Who asked for this? No. Nobody asked for that. Nobody fucking asked for this. No. Bring back fucking Yub Nub, Disney. Yeah, dude. Fucking make it happen. Despecialize the special editions. <laughs> Yub Nub. Someone has. Oh. You didn't know? There's a whole despecialized. Oh. Someone despecialized <laughs> all three. <laughs> like, brought brought them into HD. Really? Got rid of all the George Lucas oh, shit. Oh, fuck, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, to achieve the film's detailed full animation while keeping to a tight budget, the studio strove to keep any waste of time and resources to a minimum. The crew often worked long hours with no immediate financial reward. Um... Producer Gary Goldman recalled working 110-hour weeks during the final six months of production. Oh, God. Around 100 in-house staff worked on the film with a labor-intensive cell painting farmed out to 45 people working from home. Many minor roles, including incidental and crowd voice work, were filled by the in-house staff. That's awesome. Hell yeah. The final cost of the film was $6.385 
That's a fun that's a, that's a decent chunk of change for 80. The producers, Bluth and Goldman and Pomeroy, and the executive producers at Aurora, mortgaged their homes uh, collectively for $700,000 to complete the film. <sighs> yeah. Man. With the understanding that their investment would be, would be the first to be repaid. The film was the sixth animated feature to be presented in Dolby Stereo Sound System. Fucking Dolby, baby. Which is fucking cool, man. Dude, you know what's really fucking cool? Hmm. Like, speaking of Dolby, mm-hmm. I got a I got a new phone. I got the Samsung Galaxy S10 Plus. Yeah. This bitch has fucking Dolby Atmos on it. Mine too. That is fucking awesome. Yeah. It's like, so holy cool. shit. And, like, you, it, you only notice it when, like, you block the bottom speaker. <laughs> yeah. And then you hear yeah. it from the top, you're like, like, whoa! Yeah. Hey. It's fucking great, man. It's like, because I used to, uh, the one of the last phones before I went Samsung was the HTC One. Mm-hmm. And that had stereo speakers. Yeah. And for the S7, they didn't have that. And that kind of, yeah. like, you know, it... Much d- used dead in the something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now it's like I'm, I'm hearing for the first time Oh, again. hell yeah, dude. When I saw that, I'm like, oh my god. The it's only beautiful. nitpick that I have about this phone is uh-huh. only one thing. Yeah. It doesn't have the lights on the top anymore to tell me if I got, like, messages or something. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's gone. Because really? the screen goes from top to bottom. There is, like, uh, no space on the front that isn't screen. Yeah, I hate that. I need my notifications. Yeah. Even when it's charging? Even it doesn't... when it's charging. Wow, that sucks. I know. I hate that. I miss that. Yeah. Uh, a directed video sequel by Dick Sebastand, produced by uh, MGM, titled The Secret of Nim 2, Timmy to the Rescue, was, was released on December 22nd, 1983. Set several years after the event of the first film, the plot focuses on Mrs. Brisby's son, Timothy, as he struggles to live up to his father's prestigious reputation. The movie was made without Don Bluth's input or involvement and was panned by critics and fans upon release. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh. Um, on April 10th, 2019, it was announced that the Russo brothers are going to be the executive producers for the remake. Get the fuck out of here. Okay. Yeah. So, that's awesome. And and uh, Tom Holland is in the running to be the voice of Jeremy the Crow. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Wait a minute. Dude, another bit of weird synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Russo Brothers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. The Bluths. Fucking oh, Don Bluth. Shit. Fucking Secret of Nim. Wow. That's some that's some fate shit right that is, there. That is. Now <clears throat> what's fucking crazy yeah. is that the National Institute of Mental Health mm-hmm. is a real and fucked up thing. Oh really? Yes. Uh oh. Like the rats of Nim are not just it's not a just stabilized a... thing. Oh. In the nineteen sixty two edition of Scientific American. Oh no. The ecologist John B. Calhoun presented the results of the macabre series of experiments conducted at the National Institute of Mental Health, NIM. He had placed several rats in the lab in a converted barn where, protected from disease and predation and supplied with food, water, and bedding, they bred rapidly. The one thing they were lacking was space. Oh, no. A fact that became increasingly problematic as what he liked to describe as his rat city and rodent utopia. 
teamed with animals. Unwanted social contact occurred with increasing frequency, leading to increased stress and, and aggression. Following the work of the psychologist Hans Sly, it seemed that the adrenal system offered the standard binary solution, fight or flight. But in the seal's enclosure, flight was impossible. So, violence, violence quickly spiraled out of control. Cannibalism and infanticide followed. Oh, right. Males blender. became hyper hypersexual, pansexual, and an increasing proportion homosexual. Calhoun called this vortex a behavioral sink. Their numbers fell into terminal decline and the population tailed off to extinction. At the experiment's end, the only animals still alive had survived at an immense psychological cost. Asexual and utterly withdrawn, they clustered in a vacant huddled mast. And even when uh, reintroduced to normal rodent communities, these socially autistic animals remained isolated until death. Jeez. In the words of one of Calhoun's collaborators, rodent utopia had descended into hell. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's way darker than I thought that was going to get. Yeah. You know who else descends into hell? <laughs> to, to pluck out the delicious plums of knowledge? Oh, yeah. Fatty. Yeah. The fat in the box. In the Psych episode, The Greatest Adventurer in the History of Basic Cable, Sean says to Uncle Jack's Spanish ex-partner, Secret of Nim and Secret of My Success? Same secret. Which is true because Henry did all these experiments on oh, Sean when he was little. Shit. To make him who yeah, he is like as an adult. Yeah. yeah. So it is the same success. It really is. Uh, a tin lunchbox made in 1982, which prominently features the secret of Nim, is safely tucked away in the National Museum of American History. Nice. This was Jerry Goldsmith's first music score for an animated film, or for an animated film. He later said that it was among his personal favorites. Jerry Goldsmith is among my personal favorites oh, yeah. of composers. Oh yeah. I mean, come on, who who doesn't around this time of year start humming the Gremlins theme? That's true. Yeah. That's fucking true, dude. Uh he was instrumental in introducing the movie to Steven Spielberg, who went on to work with Don Bluth in an American Tale. According to Bluth and Gary Goldman in the DVD commentary, Goldsmith so loved the movie that he volunteered an extra three weeks to polish and refine the score, even though he was not contractually obligated to do so. That's so baller. Which is like such like a John Williams type move. Yeah. Too. You know, like they, they both love their craft so fucking much. Yeah. Uh, it was the theatrical movie debuts of Shannon Doherty. Teresa, oh, fuck. And Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I saying what, what way? <laughs> <laughs> and so we close the book on another day of Don Bluth scarring magic. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow as we continue that quest. Until then, remember that being fucked with by lab assistants will lead to a road of sexual deviancy, violence, and cannibalism. As somebody who worked for 15 years in a laboratory, I can vouch for that. Oh, yeah. I don't uh, remember. Made me crazy. It did make him crazy. <laughs> <sighs> Let's 
Like they're fucking, they're going to take me away. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Calm the fuck down. It's like, all right, dude, you get it. You're nuts. And remember, you'll always be a Toys R Us kid. Watch out for them rats. <laughs> rats. Rats off to you. Rats off to you. 